On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we are at a pivotal moment in our country's history, and I think we are making history. We are seeing things we have not seen before. We are feeling things we have not felt before, and I think we are upon change that is long overdue. On this week's Adam Schefter podcast, we will bring in a man that we reached out to a few weeks ago, the Los Angeles Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers, and we reached out to him because... At the time of another critical juncture in our country's history, as we fought a pandemic, three different NFL teams, the Rams, the Colts, and the Bears, all reached out to Doc Rivers to bring him in on their Zoom calls to address their team. We decided to do the very same, only as we brought him in, we added in the issue of social justice and racism unfolding in front of all of our eyes. And Doc Rivers was able to break that down to discuss what he believes needs to be done to help this country move along and get to where it needs to be. Because it is that time, and you can feel it right now. And this is long overdue. And this is a movement that has been underway but really did not gain the traction it should have back in the season of 2017 when Colin Kaepernick and others began kneeling. And now it seems like this is a movement that cannot and will not be denied. We've seen the players speak out on it in an incredible video that they posted last week. We saw the commissioner address that. We saw Drew Brees get caught up in everything that happened last week, where he went from an enemy of one side to the enemy of another side, and he alienated a lot of different people during the course of the week. Let me take inside the Saints team meeting, which they have not wanted to talk about at all from last Thursday. After Drew Brees made his initial comments that infuriated his black teammates, the Saints had a team call the next day at 2 o'clock. That was scheduled anyway. And on that call, Drew Brees got on and apologized. And Sean Payton got on and explained where he was and what was supposed to be a great speech. And then they brought on their linebacker, Demario Davis, who's incredibly smart and insightful on these issues. And he delivered a rousing speech. And then they brought on Malcolm Jenkins, who obviously was the one player, a respected player in this league, somebody who helped get this social justice movement started. He came on and basically challenged Drew Brees and said, Drew, I hear your words, but this is about actions. And it's about actions, not just for Drew Brees, but for the National Football League, for our society, for everybody that needs to do better and be better about where this world is and where it is headed. Malcolm Jenkins challenged Drew Brees that day to action. We saw what Drew Brees did on Friday night, issuing a letter to the President of the United States. Action there. We've seen some subsequent social media posts from Drew Brees. More action there. And more action is going to be required. Before we get to this week's guest, who really was tremendous, Jalen Jacoby's The After Show podcast, continuing this Sunday, following ESPN's new 30 for 30 film, Long Gone Summer. Director A.J. Schnack takes viewers 
back to the landmark 1998 baseball season when the St. Louis Cardinals Mark McGuire and the Chicago Cubs Sammy Sosa embarked on a chase of one of the game's most hallowed records. It was one of the most significant and memorable seasons in baseball history, told by the stars who lived it and so many others who will never forget it. A reminder that all 30 for 30 films are available on ESPN Plus immediately after airing. And before we get to Doc Rivers, first a word from AT&T. Hey guys, I know there's a lot going on right now in the world and we're all shopping online. I just saw AT&T started doing two really helpful things for those who want to buy a new phone or device online. They're offering fast, free, no contact delivery and curbside pickup so that online shopping is as simple and safe as possible. On top of that, they have a heavy, flexible return policy so you can shop at ease. You can visit AT&T.com to learn how to shop online from the safety of your home 24-7. Subject to change, restrictions apply. And now, the Los Angeles Clippers head coach, Doc Rivers. Aha! We have him! We have the man! I, I've made it. I've made it in. And, 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 and on the appointed time, too, Doc. Thank you very much. Yeah, I, you know, listen, I have my good day. <laughs> and this clearly is one, despite the fact that you've been very busy. It's been right. busy. It's been busy for, you know, obviously with all the stuff that's going on. Uh, and then you put COVID on top of that. And then you put that we're about to start our season, it looks like. Um, and they're cutting our staffs in half that we can bring to Disney. So I've been, um, you know, trying to save everybody's feelings over the last three days because, you know, we got to take like half our coaching staff can't go, you know. Wow. So it's it's going to be, oof. I, I have a coaching Zoom call today with the final list, and that's going to be a lot of fun. Oh, boy. Well, I'm thankful that you could fit us into your schedule. And let me say I'm honored because we've never had the occasion to speak before, and I've watched you from afar throughout your entire career. We're not that far off in age. I think you're 58 years old, and I'm 53, Doc. And you've played you look in much the- better. <laughs> no, well, you're much more successful. So I'd rather be more successful than look better. That's but, me. But I, I do love you. I love, I love your stuff. I'm, a, you know, as you probably know, I'm a, I'm a just a rabid football fan. Um, and I love football coaching. Uh, and I love my Chicago Bears as well. Well, and that's the reason that I initially reached out to you. And we're going to get to that. The fact that you've become a very popular virtual speaker this spring and summer with NFL teams, the Bears, your Bears, had you in. And I want to hear all about that. And the Colts had you yeah. in. And I want to hear about that. And the Rams had you in. So you've been addressing all these teams. But I can't start there in light of everything that's going on. Yeah. I, I want to get your opinion on what we do as a society right now to bridge this divide, Doc. Yeah. Well, well um, oh, man, that is such a loaded question. Um, it's so complicated. You know, it is complicated uh, because it's the we part is where we have to start. You know, um, it can't be from one race or one person. Uh, it's going to take a collective effort. Uh, it's going to take a continued effort. And in my opinion, it's going to take a, take a change of habits. Like, Everyone's having these discussions right now, right? Everybody wants to talk right now. Um, but, you know, I, I've talked to people a lot older than me, and they said you guys have to move away from just 
conversation. Uh, one 83-year-old black man who is very successful that I've been talking for 83 years. All right. Now it's time for action and it's time uh, to change habits. And if you change your daily habits, uh, it can become an action. So I would say there uh, is where you start. And then I think the other place to start is education. Uh, and that I'm not meaning school education. I'm meaning education as far as uh, why are blacks angry? Why are blacks upset? Um, and um, and, and how we can change that, uh, because we do live in the land of slavery, uh, and it's it's real, uh, you know. And we're we we know it, but it's almost like no one wants to talk about it because it's an uncomfortable conversation. And to me, it's okay. Like, let's be uncomfortable. Let's be uncomfortable. Um, and so those are the things that I would do uh, as, as far as change. And then the last thing, Adam, I would really do is when you see something or hear something that you think is off color or wrong, we have the habit of not saying anything. And I think now we do. We have to. Uh, if you see it, you hear it, you need to speak it. Doesn't it feel like people are more knowledgeable about what's going on right now? about what's wrong and right it, it it feels that way but maybe it's not that way no i think the people are more aware you know body cams uh video oh, yeah. cams have helped uh but it hasn't really slowed it down as a matter of fact there's there's statistical data that says since body cams you know um police brutality hasn't gone down it's actually gone up you know so the difference is now we see it, right? Uh, yeah. But now we, we have to stop it and, and we have to find a way uh, of, you know, doing different training for police officers. You know, my dad was a cop. Yeah, uh, I know that. And my dad, yeah, my dad was a cop in Chicago. And you know what's funny, though? In our neighborhood, when I drove around with my dad, you heard people say, hey, Mr. Rivers, hey, Sergeant Rivers, uh, but he was the coach of the basketball team, the baseball team, and the football team. People knocked on our door daily to, hey, Mr. Rivers, I need your help with something. Can you help? He was part of the community. And, and so, you know, listen, that's, that's something that we got to get back to for sure. But as far as the education, you know, I, I, I challenge everyone to, to read about the history. You know, I did this thing with my players, and it was pretty impactful, and someone did it to me, and it was about slavery. And they said, um, would you work for ESPN for a year for free? And the owners of ESPN got all the money. Well, the answer clearly would be no. Would you work for five years for ESPN? Of course not. Would you work for 20 years for ESPN, and all the money went to the owners, and you got nothing. But you had to work hard because you didn't you would probably hurt because you didn't. Well, think about that and then put a 260 behind that. 260 years of working for free in this country. And then uh, put on that uh, segregation, Jim Crow. Uh, and then that goes all the way into the 1970s. So when you look at that compared to just if you give anybody a 270 or 300 year head start, like I think that makes you understand the plight a little bit better. 
Plus, in that 300 years, you couldn't educate, which to me may have been the worst part of it. It was illegal to educate for over 260 years in the United States for a black man. It was illegal. You know, and so, like, when you read that and hear that, it, it does make you think a little different. A lot different. A lot different. And you mentioned your father being a cop in Chicago. What was the biggest thing you learned from him as he did his job? Well, number one, that it was a hard job, <laughs> a very hard job. Uh, but from him, you never felt like he was that. You felt like he was more a community leader. You know, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm telling you, everybody went to him for problems that were unpoliced problems. Um, now, he was an extremely educated man, uh, extremely well-read man. Uh, and I think that probably is the reason uh, me and my brother got an education. You know, my mom was a high school educated person, you know, but when you think about most blacks, if you stop at the grandparents, that's where the education stops, you know? And so uh, we're working in such a deficit educationally. And, and my, I was lucky, but my dad was a community leader. How much of what you learned from him is passed on, well, obviously to your four children, but to your players today. Oh, gosh, a lot. You know, he had this thing about uh, being a victim that just would rile him. You know, I, I, Adam, I, I, I can't tell you the amount of times that I heard my dad say, there'll be no victims in the Rivers house. Uh, I, and, I, and I have so many stories of uh, – just from like dealing with things that not just race, but even racial things. I went to a camp as a kid and I was the only black kid at the camp. It was the first basketball camp I ever been to. I was in sixth grade, I think. And it was in a very white, wealthy neighborhood. My dad somehow got me in probably because he was a cop. After the third day, I was clearly the best player at the camp and uh, the kids started calling me the N word. And so I got in the car and I didn't want to go back. And my dad like, oh no, you're going back. There's like, you're not going to, you're not going to victim out on this. Like, that's not going to happen. You're going back and you're going to play harder. You're going to, you're going to try to be the best player that they've ever seen, uh, to the point that they will respect you. And so I did go back and, you know, clearly I had more energy in <laughs> out and playing, you know. <laughs> Uh, there's no doubt about that. And, you know, listen, you know, it's sixth grade, so who cares that account? But I won, we won the, the camp championship. I won the MVP and everybody was clapping at the end. That didn't mean it changed some opinions, but it, it was different, you sure. know? And so I don't know. Um, those are the lessons he taught me. And those are the lessons I've, you know, when we had to deal with the Sterling thing, yeah. Um, and our players at one point, I, you know, listen, I was going to do what they wanted me to do. I, I thought in that case, I had to be their servant. If you know what I'm saying, uh, they needed a voice. They allowed me to be the voice doing the Donald Sterling thing. But at one point they were really thinking strongly about not playing. And if they had decided to do that, we would not have played that game. And they asked me my opinion. And the only thing I said was when I grew up, I had a goal of winning a world championship and Donald Sterling was never in that dream. And why are we going to allow him to be in it now is beyond me. And so I thought that got them thinking, right? Like, Hey, let's do this for us. Not about him. Uh, but it was difficult because we had to wear his uniform. 
you know. And we stopped thinking in terms of this was the NBA's uniform. We started thinking these were Donald Sterling's uniform. Uh, and that was very, very difficult. So do you now let your team play victim? Is that is that one of your mantras, stuck? Yeah, for sure. You can't as a coach. Um, uh, like things are going to happen in the game, right? Like um, you may get a bad call. And I complain as much as any coach probably in the history of coaching uh, about bad calls. I stay on it sometimes probably too long. But sometimes I'm doing it for the players to get off of it. Sometimes I'm just emotional. But, no, that's the one thing I don't allow. Like, we're going to win anyway. You know, somebody gets hurt, let's keep winning. I mean, think about us last year. We, we traded our whole team away at the All-Star break. Literally. You know, our best player, Tobias Harris, we, we, you know, we made these changes. Everyone thought we were going to tank the season. And we actually improved our record and made the playoffs and pushed Golden State. But I thought that attitude, like, uh, Let's keep going. Like, we're not changing our goals. Uh, I just think it's so important to play life forward instead of playing it as a, a play-by-play announcer. You know, uh, it's so easy to announce what's not working after it's happened. Uh, it's so much harder to keep moving after it happens. You know, and I think that's probably been, if I had one message in my life for me and for my players, it would be that. Is there anything that could be applied from that victim message to society today? Or is the problem so big and so unfair and so unjust that the black population has been victimized? Well, they have been. Like, there's a difference. Just because you're the victim, don't become one. You you know what I'm saying? Um, We have been the victim throughout the history of this country. But we have to keep moving forward. Anyway, uh, but there's nothing wrong with being the victim and still needing, like, we need everybody in this. It's been a one-race fight. You know, it's been the black race trying to tell everybody, we want our shot, we want our chance, we want our equal opportunity. We don't want to, we want to be looked upon as humans. I mean, just think about it, like, in the court systems, how many blacks go to jail. For, I mean, there are people in jail for, for 20 and 30 years for having a small amount of pot. Yep. And they're mostly black. So clearly we need help. Uh, and, and we got to keep fighting is, is what not being a victim is. You can't stop and give in. You just can't. And so right now we can't give in, uh, but we have to get everyone else into the fight. You saw what DeAndre Hopkins said on social media. Maybe you didn't. You've been very busy. But if you haven't, I'll just read it to you. Basically, he tweeted out before, Doc, that my big cousin, these are his words, not mine, my big cousin from South Carolina did 10 years in jail for $600 worth of drugs. Let that sink in. That's the real reason I wear number 10 modern day. And I think that's the kind of thing that you're talking about. And I also heard that you're now going to be part of a racial reform committee with other NBA coaches like Greg Popovich? Steve uh, Kerr, um, you know, J.B. Bickerstaff. Uh, it's just so many people uh, that are involved in this, and, and it's been fantastic. We're, we are really working on, like, our messaging right now, uh, and that's the tough part. Like, we don't want to get lost. You know what happens in these things, and you made a great point. These things are so big, right? And so you get lost in trying to do everything. You know, um, there's 20 different things we need to do to make this country better. 
education for me is number one. We, we got to have equal education. Police brutality is one. Um, uh, the incarceration system is one. So what we're trying to do is pick one and stick to it. And be it that even through when we're no longer coaching, because if you're coaching, you know, there's a point where you're not coaching anymore. It just yeah. happens. You get fired most of the time. <laughs> You know, it's rare that you're retiring coaching. You know, it just doesn't happen a lot. So, but we want that to be, even after we're gone, that the new coach can follow up and keep doing the same thing. Uh, we have 30 cities, when you think about it, that we can touch. And we're going to go, each individual coach will pick a grassroots organization to get involved in uh, that will have lasting effects and that the owners back us of each team. And I think we can have some impact here. We just got to pick right. And, and that's always hard. Like you draft, know, I, NFL draft, you know? Yeah, but, but, <laughs> but, but, but you're, you're going over those issues, right? You're going over education and incarceration and p- police brutality. I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a good quote. That's, that, that's definitely worthwhile. That's worthwhile. That's, they're all worthwhile. They're all worthwhile. There is. And, 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 and with police brutality, it's not like an attack on the police. It's more, no. uh, we want to work on training. We want to work on communication. And we want to work on getting the community and the police force as a community. And right now, you know, we put so much money right now in, in, into the police force. It's like the military. You know, we just keep throwing money in, throwing money in, even more money, and taking money away from all these social programs where we need to take some money away from some of the police, defund some of the police departments, Put some money back in, and maybe that will stop crime. Because the more we can stop crime, the less we're going to have of some of these issues. You know, I, and I think people confuse it sometimes. Like, I've noticed this on social media, and maybe this is not the best place to read it and hear about it. But when you're talking about police brutality, you're not complaining about all policemen. There are a lot of great policemen, but there are a lot of examples of the kind of thing that we saw in Minneapolis that – we're trying to stop in the future. Yeah, it, it, you're right. You're right. And there's two thoughts. Like, I had a great talk. Uh, you know, every team has their security uh, guys, on, you know, for the team. And, you know, most of the security guys are police officers, you know, or ex-police officers. And so we, we had a very deep talk with one of ours. And, you know, Chris Rock does this skit that everyone should watch. It's hilarious, but it also has meaning. And it's about the bad apples. You know, there's certain jobs that you can't be a bad apple in. Like a, a doctor is one. Uh, a cop should be one. You know, can you imagine if American Airlines, that they they came over and said, listen, guys, we have great pilots, but a couple of our pilots are bad apples. They just like <laughs> crashing things. You know, <laughs> that wouldn't work. Uh, but more importantly, I think in, in the police case, they have this brotherhood. It's just like the locker room. Adam, you've been around sports long yep. enough, right? Yeah. It's just like the locker room. And the great teams, when you think about it, the great teams have the locker room that if a player is doing something that hurts the team, the other players speak up. They don't, they don't think they're willing anymore or turning their brother in. They're trying to get him right. Well, that's the same thing with the brotherhood of the police force. You know, like the the one guy that was standing and watching the other three police. That bothered uh, me so and, much. That bothered yeah, me so but, much. 
when you look at his background, I think he had been on job for six months, you know? And so in his case, what do you do? Do you, you stop it? Do you, uh, let's say that there was no camera and then they had to do the police report. When he had gone in and wrote up in the police report, hey, I thought uh, what they did was vicious. It was eight minutes. It was, you know, he was the guy that kept saying, maybe we should turn him over. You know, clearly something was telling him something was wrong, but he didn't have the courage to speak up. And probably he didn't have the courage because he knew if he did speak up, he would have to deal with the rest of the police force calling him a, a squill. And we got to stop that behavior. We got to be able to speak up. If something's wrong, um, I wonder right now if he can redo it. I guarantee you, at least you hope that he would have said, hey, guys, stop that right now. And, and don't you, know, you hope but, that the next guy, the next guy would think that because other people, everybody knows this. Everybody's seen it. So you hope that if anybody's ever in a situation like that, and hopefully not, that somebody would say, this is not right. Yeah, you, you do hope that. Uh, and, you know, listen, there, there's a lot of good things, like, and bad things. Think about the, the kid that went jogging and, and yep. got murdered, right? And, and the thought that those two guys murdered that kid and then went back home. Like, you know, they were never taken in. They just told people what happened. And it, this never comes to light if another guy who was filming it, it took him two weeks, right, or maybe three weeks, but something in him finally said, man, this is wrong. I got I to gotta turn him in. I have to turn him in. And I guarantee you that guy, once he turned him in, you think he was popular in his community? Like he should have been a hero. My guess is he probably not. And that tells you the problem that we have. You know, but it took that guy having the courage or – Someone in his family may have had the courage to saw it and said, Dad, this is wrong. We got we to gotta turn this thing in. We got to show this film and show them that this was a murder. And so it's amazing. But so there are these good acts, too, and, of courage. But it does take courage. As the father of four, three boys, one girl, did you always deliver a message to be on the lookout to your children? Did you have to do that? You do have to do that. Uh, yeah. You know, my, my, my kids are interracial, and you still have to do that like you do. I, I, I've always done that uh, to my players. You know, listen, being black, especially, you know, I don't know, when I was a player for the Clippers, and the, the Clippers arena was in South Central, you know, the Clip Joint, that was the worst arena probably in sports history. But if you drove, I would drive to practice in my BMW. I got pulled over once a week. So, yeah, uh, you do tell them, uh, hey, speak nicely. Um, show your hands. Um, I think every black father does that. Every black father does that. But as a kid, even with my dad as a cop, when I was next to a cop in Maywood, I was very comfortable. Because in Maywood, where I grew up, you knew all the cops. But when I went to Oak Park or, you know, River Forest or Merrill's Park, and it was a uh, predominantly white neighborhood, and you got to a light or a stop sign, there was a cop next to you, you start, like, sweating. And, like, because you wouldn't look his way, 
you you know how you don't want to look at them and you know you just were waiting and you know you knew if you pulled off first and they slowed down and start riding behind you you could count to it one two three four and then the lights went on hey uh just checking your license you have something wrong and then they check your plates and then most of the time they let you go but you don't know where that's going and you know it's, it's the way it is uh the way it was and it's the way it still is on your drive to the clippers games back in the day uh when you were playing for them in the early 90s in los angeles when you were pulled over once a week did you ever feel unnerved scared threatened on one of those pullovers well you always did but you're always smart uh i think it was lloyd vaught or uh Tim norman one of our players that pulled out of their car handcuffed push their head to the windshield and then let go. And he didn't even know why they pulled him over, why they did that. But, you know, so there's so many of those. And, and that's the stuff we have to correct, the, the stop and frisk. The, um, but I still think, like you said, I think it's the training in some ways. And I, I just keep going back to the education at the end of the day. Like we have to educate ourselves and others. And I do think some of this will go away. And so there are some powerful words on the way he grew up, the lessons he learned from his father, and his thoughts today on social justice and racism in the world. Before we get to Doc Rivers addressing his favorite NFL team growing up, the Chicago Bears, first a word from State Farm. With real guidance and the right coach, NBA teams go from good to great. Just like real help from your State Farm agent can make all the difference in protecting what matters most. Talk to a State Farm agent today about combining your home and auto insurance and get a teammate who can help guide you through whatever life throws your way. When you want the real deal, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. And now back to our right coach, the coach that NFL teams rushed to get on their Zoom calls this offseason, Los Angeles Clippers head coach Doc Rivers. Now, you were brought in to educate, which is why I reached out to you to begin with. You were brought in to educate NFL teams and players during yeah. the pandemic. And, and, and the pandemic seems to get lost in everything that is going on in the country right now. But the Chicago Bears, the Indianapolis Colts, the Los Angeles Rams brought you in. And you mentioned that you were a Bears fan. So what was that yeah. like when Matt Nagy or Ryan Pace, the general manager, reaches out to you? to ask you to come in to speak to them? And what was your message to the Bears? Well, I'll tell you real short. Uh, I'll try to make it as short as possible. Uh, it, it started uh, with Sean McVay, who I'm a, become very close with. And I, I just have – I just think he's amazing. He's for great, isn't I got he? Coach, yeah. For that age, I wish I had been mature that at, at that age as he is and as smart as he is. He's 34, uh, Doc, 34. It, it's nuts. It's, you know what's nuts about Sean is his ability to see things and deliver the message in the right way and, and, and understand team dynamics. That's usually for older people and experienced people. It's amazing to me listening to him and talking to him how well he, he understands the room. That's usually done for coaches that have had years of experience of trial and error and learning. And the fact that he knows that and does that. I mean, his speech after the Super Bowl loss 
about, hey, I have to get better. Come on. That's amazing to me. And then it went to Philip Rivers, who we jokingly have called each other brothers, you know, uh, when I got to L.A. Philip was, has always been, you know, he was a San Diego Clipper fan and Los huh. Angeles Clipper fan. Philip would come to the games with his family. And as you know, it's not a small family. It's probably one <laughs> second of the, uh, from the arena, you know. <laughs> but they would come in complete Clipper, Clipper gear, like head to toe, all of them. And it was hilarious. And so Philip called me and said, hey, man, Ray Allen told a story about you leaving the money uh, in the ceiling in, in, in the Staples Centers when you were with the Celtics that I, I told uh, Coach Wright we got to get him. And so that's <laughs> when I did the coach. But it's funny, when I go on both of those guys, I start off with, guys, I, I really am going to enjoy this. I got full disclosure, I'm a Bears fan. And I just want to get that out there uh, because I just felt the need to. And then Matt and Matt Nagy and I have been friends over the last couple of years and have talked a lot. And for me, I got to tell you, it was a thrill of a lifetime for a lifetime. I go back to Gail Sayers and Dick Buckus. Uh, uh, I went to a game to see Gail Sayers uh, at Wrigley Field with my dad. So I like to say I'm a Bears fan would be cut it short. And and so for me it was awesome. It was just awesome. And the all the players were there. They were asking great questions. I was their questions were phenomenal. It's, like, it's yeah. amazing. You know they they were it was it was doing the last dance, so it was perfect oh. timing uh, to talk. So they got in. It's funny. The younger guys got into the LeBron thing. The older guys are like the Jordan. I mean it, it was funny. Then I said. How do you guys like skip Kobe? And I, you know, I start throwing questions out to them. Uh, I start giving them their history uh, that they needed to know. And I told them, like, the team in Chicago, like the Cubs, the Bears, the White Sox, the Bulls, it's the Bears. Like, the Bears are Chicago's team, period. Uh, And then all the other teams. And I I told them, you got to understand that. Like, Bears fans are for real. And, and I talked to them about that. But you know what I talked to them most about? It, it's funny, Adam, it's this word, Mbutu, um, U-B-U-N-T-U. Uh, it's hard to spell and say, but it's a South African philosophy, way of life. And they, Desmond Tutu, uh, Nelson Mandela basically brought it to the forefront, this word, this philosophy of life. It really changed. South Africa and Africa in general. And the word means a person is a person through other people. I can't be all I am unless you are all you are. I am because you are. Uh, I can never be threatened by how good you are because the better you are, in the long run, the better I will be. And I told them, like, that when teams adopt this philosophy, uh, they can let go of themselves uh, and dive in to their teammates and to each other. And if you ever want to win, you have to give up something. You have to be willing to give up something. And if you can live that as your life line as a team, you will win. And so that was part of my big message, probably all of them, but definitely the Bears. I left out some of the good stuff just for the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> so, Doc, if the Bears – go on an extended playoff run here or win the Super Bowl, I think that you're entitled to a playoff share, if not a ring, if they could 
pull off a big season and have the kind of year that you would want as a Bears fan. I mean, we, we got to talk to Matt about that, don't you think? Yeah, listen, if the Bears win the Super Bowl, I don't need a ring or a share. The joy will be enough. You know, when, when was it, two years ago, when we missed the field goal? Double doink. Um, I, we had a game that day, and I rushed home, uh, and I got there to see the second half. And Al Michaels, as you know, is a very good friend. We yep. did ABC together uh, for one year in the playoffs. And I was so mad at Al and Chris, and I told Al this, because before the kick, Al kept saying, oh, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> and I, I called Al literally 10 minutes after the game, after he got off, Al, what, what was that? And he's like, what are you talking about? I said, the old boy thing. <laughs> like, you never, you never do that. What, what was that? And, and he was laughing. He was like, Doc, you kind of knew what was about to happen. <laughs> you you kind of knew it was going to happen. The funny story with that is, so I leave. I'm, so, I'm distraught. And yeah. I go, literally, leave my house to go to a bar and, and have a drink and go get something to eat. And I walk, I get out of the car, and there's this, Heavy set white guy in a Bears jersey, in Hicks jersey. Yep. And he looks at me and he says, Doc Rivers? And I say, Yeah. Aren't you from Chicago, man? I say, Yeah. <laughs> he started crying. True story. I give the guy a big hug and then he just keeps walking down the street. And I was like, That's the plight. That's us right now. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> am, I, am I allowed to ask you who's going to win the Bears quarterback competition this summer? Who do you think? Well, you know who it is. Like, they, they didn't go get balls for him to sit. You know, and that's the way I look at it. Listen, I think the best man's going to win, obviously. And the one thing with Nagy, I think he's such an offensive genius. I wouldn't be shocked to see them both at times. But I don't love that system. I like when you decide who it is, and that's who it is. But we have a Super Bowl winning quarterback. now. And we also have a very young quarterback, right? And so you would think the Super Bowl winning quarterback will probably get the nod, and the other young kid will get the teach. And so in some ways, you may win both ways. Good way of looking at it. And I think they hope it works out that way. Now, you did mention that Philip Rivers brought you in to speak with the Colts or helped arrange that for the Ray Allen money story, but I don't know the Ray Allen money story, so I got to ask you to share the Ray Allen money in the ceiling story with us, Doc. Well, it's it's a it's a true story. We lost to the Lakers on Christmas Day in the regular season game, and when you play West East, you only play the West Coast teams one time a year in their arena, and we lost. And walking off the floor, I felt like it was the first time that our team was down. You can just feel it. Like uh, they knew, they thought. You know, they were better than the Lakers. They lose to them, and they were down. And so I walked in the locker room. Why this came to me, I can't tell you, but it did. I walked into the locker room. I told every player, every trainer, every coach, every equipment manager to get out 100 bucks and give it to me. And, you know, guys are, like, looking around, what? I said, I need 100 bucks. I didn't even talk about the game. I walked in. I said, I need 100 bucks, everybody. Uh, and Kevin Garnett, if you know Kevin Garnett, is the greatest team leader in sports, but he has a very uh, colorful way of expressing himself. You know, the F word is a noun, verb, and adjective with, with Kevin Garnett. So he's F-bombing, what, what, why are we doing this? And he's going back and forth. And I said, I'm not, this is not an F. This is, you have to give me $100. 
And so they all gave me this money, and I and it was a ton of people, and I had all this money in my hand, and I had my one security guy, uh, Phil Lynch. I said, Phil, I want you to take everybody in the shower and to question him. Uh, he takes them in the shower. I grab one assistant. I said, Hey, I want to hide this money, and he's like, What? I said, I want to hide this money. We got to figure out a place where they no one could ever find it. And so we finally looked at this ceiling panel that we felt like there was no plumbing. And we put the money up in the ceiling. We closed it back up. And the players all come in. Everybody comes in and said, where's the money? I said, the money's gone. And he's like, like, what do you mean the money's gone? I said, the only way you can ever get this money back is we have to come back here and play. And the only way we can come back here and play is we have to make to the final. I believe the Lakers are going to make the final. And we're going to meet them here. And when we come back here, we're going to get our money back. And so we made it to the finals. Went to, when we got off the bus, it was awesome. You saw these players sprinting to the locker room. <laughs> they were sprinting in there. They, I walked in that locker room. It was trash. Like they, and I was laughing because me and Kevin Eastman was one of my – we were the only two that knew where it was. We let them look for another five minutes. And I got to be honest, Kevin grabbed the broom to lift up the ceiling panel so it could fall out. I swear to God, I didn't think it would be there. I thought someone may have stolen it or found it. And it came falling out. And it was awesome. Players are diving on the ground. You would think uh, – I'd laugh. Say, Kevin, you make $20 million and you're diving on the ground for a $100 bill. That's how, <laughs> and, that's how guys are about extra cash. How long was the money hiding in the ceiling for there, Doc? I'm going to say four months. Wow. Yeah, yeah, we played them in December, maybe longer. Yeah, we played them in December, uh, six months because uh, or seven because the finals are in June. Wow, amazing! I wonder if there's any like ceiling tiles in Orlando that you're gonna have to scout out now to stick hundred dollar bills there to incite your team here in the upcoming NBA season here. Well, we're, we're all there. The funniest call I got that story got out after it, and I got a call from Greg Popovich. And he says, Doc, can I ask you a question? I said, sure. He said, you think if I go in the San Antonio locker room and look around, I can find some money? <laughs> and, I, and I said, Pop, I have to tell you, we only thought the Lakers were going to win, so no. <laughs> <laughs> That's outstanding. Well, Doc, like I said, I want to get you on to talk about your experience with the NFL teams. And then, obviously, with all the events going on in the world, I thought, well, this is just unbelievable to be able to get him. And I want to thank you for all the time that you granted me today during this busy time for you. Um, it was worth the wait trying to get you on the phone. And I really do appreciate it very much. And I look forward to somehow meeting on the road. Hopefully they give me a Clippers game at ESPN at one point. I love doing the sideline reporting for these games. And it would be a great honor to get one of your games here. Well, I would love that. That would be phenomenal. Uh, but somewhere we got to meet up. Maybe with, you're doing a Rams game and we run into each other. But I love your work. Keep doing it. And on all this stuff that we are involved in right now, I think you're doing the right thing. The more we talk about it, uh, the more we speak out, uh, the better we'll become as a society. So I'm hoping we can just keep this going a lot longer than a protest. Well, we're trying to educate, right? We're trying to educate. We have to. And I think that you've done a great job of doing that today, and that's why I appreciate that. And I'm going to find you at some point, Doc. I don't know whether it's going to be a work assignment or whether you're going to be coming to New York to play a game, but I'm going to come find you at some point in time, and I look forward to shaking your hand in person and thanking you for your time today. Well, I'm looking forward to that. 
And so there he is, the head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers, who now has to begin to get ready for training camp, which will be July 9th to 11th, with the NBA season opening up July 31st in Orlando. And he's got so much going on. And as I mentioned to him, we reached out to him before all these protests erupted. We reached out when I heard he had been talking to the Bears and the Colts and the Rams. And that was why I wanted to bring him on. And I think one of the great things is I love working for ESPN as an NBA reporter. And I only got to do one game this year. And one of the things I love about it is you show up at a game and NBA coaches and players, they're like, what are you doing here? And I like talking to them. And they like seeing a fresh face, and it's great. And I think in speaking to Doc, it's a reminder that it's sometimes great to bring in a perspective and a voice from outside the one that I know, which is football, the one that I'm used to. These guys, they don't want to see me always. They're kind of sick of me. But it's great to interact with somebody from another sport who just brings a little bit of a different perspective. And what a great man Doc Rivers is. And he was a broadcaster there for a little bit, working with Al Michaels. What a great team that is. And he would be successful in anything he's done. You're talking about an NBA all-star, a man that's won the NBA Coach of the Year, who's won an NBA championship, who's been a two-time NBA all-star game head coach. And he's got so much experience and so much wisdom to share. And I'm truly thankful for Doc Rivers for sharing that with us today. I want to thank you, the listener, for tuning in to this episode of the Adam Schefter Podcast. Please join us again next week. We'll be back with more perspective, hopefully more education and more insight. And until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe.